Welcome to the Creative Review Podcast. I'm Eliza Williams, and for today's podcast, I'm in the slightly unusual position of interviewing my boss, uh, CR's editor, Patrick Burgoyne. Uh, the reason for this is, as many of you will already know, Patrick has decided to step down as editor of CR from next month after 20 years in the role and uh, 25 years, I believe, at the magazine. Uh, so we thought this was a good moment to have a bit of reflection, both about the kind of world of magazines, but also of the kind of creative industries that we cover. Uh, so welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you very much. You make me feel <laughs> extremely old. I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, to, to continue that feeling, though, maybe we could start with... Um, you setting the scene, because it was it 25 years that you started as a, a local yeah, staff writer? Yeah, um, 1993, I think, wow. uh, uh, was when I started. I think my first issue was January 1994. I'd been working in marketing before that, but I'd been doing journalism on the side, so I'd been writing for, um, you know, the kind of free magazines you get given away at tube stations, and I'd worked, I did some pieces for the big issue when it first started, okay. and just a few things to kind of get um, some experience of of writing and, and being a journalist and then um, there was a job advertised in the Guardian in print in the newspaper Media <laughs> Guardian for a staff writer at Creative Review um, and I applied for that and, and got it and um, who was editor at this point so Lewis Blackwell was editor at, uh, at the time and uh, Lewis you know took a chance on me and um, uh, for which I'll be forever grateful and uh, and it was great, you know. It was right. It, it gave me the chance to write about an area that I was already interested in, but had a lot to learn about. Um, and um, and you know, I, I just had for a long time wanted to make writing my living. So it was a, it was a great first step in that direction. Yeah. And what was it? Can you remember what maybe what you first wrote about? Well, that's probably a bit impossible, isn't it? I think one of my first ever news pieces, so we used to have these news pages at the front of the magazine. I guess a lot of people will remember where there were lots of short snippets, project-based stuff, you know, so-and-so's done this, so-and-so's done that. I think one of the first things I did was uh, a couple of book covers that Neville Brody had designed and it, you know, the story was probably about a hundred words long. Mm. I think I might have phoned him to to check some things and do a very quick interview with him. Um, but I mean, the really the thing that people always kind of uh, gasp at when I tell them this is that when I first started at Creative Review, we were still writing our stories on typewriters. Wow! And um, the art direction was done with um, paste up and bromide machine uh, in the basement of the building that we were in. Wow. Uh, and all the artwork came in as uh, transparencies or, or flat artwork that all had to be scanned. And we worked with a printer just outside of Brighton. And during the production week, every day, uh, a man would come up on the train with a leather satchel and wow. would take all the material um, back to Brighton with him to be magically transformed into a magazine. So it was actually a step back in time for me because I'd been working on Max at my Previous jobs. I was going to say, it, it doesn't feel quite that no, long ago. Was, so it was just to do with Centaur, perhaps. It's to do with Centaur and being slightly uh, behind the curve, shall we say. And then yeah. within about a year of me being there, uh, the the uh, DTP revolution arrived at Centaur Towers. <laughs> and, but it was quite a nice in a way because I had a lot of experience on Mac. So, you know, I was, I was able to sort of um, help some of the other people on the team and... and um, and were these the big old Macs of that period? Or sort of, or were we in Jelly Mac, iMac? Oh, no, it was before or? that. And it was, yeah. you know, the old kind of ivory coloured ones. Yeah. Um, 
the uh, what were they LC and all that kind of stuff. I seem to remember them having very deep, like sort of television size screen, like sort of backs <laughs> yeah. to them. Like but it was back. just you know it was a, it was a very uh, physical process making the magazine, yeah. and, and the material that we looked at was very physical. So you know if you wanted to look at a commercial or a music video, you had to get a tape off someone. So there were all these couriers whizzing around Soho and West End ferrying tapes. Yeah. Here, there, and everywhere. And beta, for, presumably, was it? Was beta, it beta and Umatic. We used to have a. There was, oh, yeah. used to be these things called Umatics, which was a Sony format Umatic machine. It was a big old clunky uh, tape uh, machine that made a really satisfying chunking sound when you would press play. <laughs> um, and you know, we had piles and piles and piles of these tapes in the office because you would have a whole tape for just one thirty-second commercial to look mm. at, and then if you wanted to write something about it. You then had to get a still made of the commercial. So then you would have to go to, you know, a facilities house or a repro house or whatever, who would pull a still off uh, the commercial and then create either a transparency or a, or like a kind of like a Polaroid type print. Um, and the quality of them was often really poor. I mean, you look back, look back at some of those issues, and a lot of the quality of the artwork in them is not great because of the. Um, the restrictions that you had in those days so okay. yeah you had all that and and you you know if you wanted to to interview somebody you you couldn't drop them an email you had to actually phone them or go see them uh, or use a fax machine um, I did a whole book where um, which was uh, with uh, Jeremy Leslie we did a book about skateboard and surfboard graphics and most of the people we needed to talk to were in America so there was endless faxing and late night phone calls and express say- packages and yeah, does that mean that for the magazine it was quite London-based, or or did it was it did it have a global look? Uh, no, I mean we always had a lo- a global readership. Even when I started, we had subscribers in countries all around the world. We always had a big US readership. Um, it was just obviously a bit more complicated, you know, having to call somebody in New York or Los Angeles or whatever. Yeah. But we did we did a lot of stuff, and obviously Lewis had good contacts overseas. He did that very famous book with David Carson. He did other books with American designers and uh, and people in Europe. So yeah, it was pretty good. It was pretty multinational. Yeah, and even when you became editor, so 1999, you became editor. Yeah. How much was the internet? I mean, it was still very burgeoning. I would have thought at that stage, but there must have been excitement and buzz around it because it was just yeah. The dot I think com. Um, it was um, sort of probably pre the sort of general. Um, no, I'm trying to think now, but. I mean, Free the bubble bursting, wasn't it? So. Oh yeah, and it was it was definitely still a world in which um, you know print was was first and foremost. Creative Review was still doing a monthly print magazine. Um, there was there was no website, no blog. Um, we also at that time did a CD-ROM for subscribers. Yeah. So the, the CD-ROM. <laughs> I remember um, the CD-ROM. Yeah. Which was, I mean, it was amazing. It, it, it had um, some of the very earliest kind of interactive experiments, sound toys, people like Empty Ron, we published a lot of their early work on the CD-ROM. It had music videos on there, it had commercials on there. It was a really great um, kind of way to deliver content that just wasn't available anywhere else. You couldn't go on YouTube and, and, and watch a commercial or a music video or anything. Yeah. It was very difficult to see that kind of stuff. So the CD-ROM and then, then later on that, that became a DVD was, was, was uh, a terrific thing to be able to do. Yes. And did you, when you took over as editor, did you, can you remember if there were things that you wanted to do or sort of a, I mean, where was it, it was mainly design and advertising at that point, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that had been Creative Review's core and continued to be our core for, for quite a mm. long time. I think um, probably we broadened our um, coverage of, of 
of graphic design and kind of related crafts illustration and and uh, and so on, maybe a bit more and obviously digital was really taking off at that point so we started to cover some of the earlier um, digital agencies and, and and interesting people so you know the likes of Deepend and, and um, Digit and those kinds of people yeah um, were emerging at that point uh, lateral people like that you know it was really it was a really exciting time yes do you have a favorite bits of work from the, that sort of early era or? um gosh that's a hard one i mean i think um we did um some really nice projects with people i remember we did something um where we got um it was all around the theme of 13 and the reason why it was 13 i can't remember but we had this really great project with a um, an outdoor advertising company uh, who actually had sites in the tube station so we were able to mm. commission like 13 people to do an image around the idea of 13 and then those images ran in all the tube stations okay. uh, as posters it was just a really nice thing uh, to be able to give people that kind of opportunity and we you know there were quite a few few things like that we did one year um we used to have creative futures which was our big kind of new talent showcase and uh, part of that was usually there was a big exhibition every year which a colleague of mine Paula Carson used to, to used to run used to spend so much time pulling that thing together but it it was a launch pad for a lot of people who went on to have really big careers in the creative industry so it was a great thing to, to I mean the Nate, yeah the alumni from that are actually yeah quite it was amazing, brilliant actually. all sorts of people came through it Graham Wood and Anthony Burrell and and um, people like Tiger Savage and Paul Silburn and all sorts of really really yeah. great people came through it and um, one year we got Selfridges involved as a as a supporter and all the Creative Futures had a window in Selfridges for right. I think it's for a week so for example someone like Chris Bovell and John Allison um, they had they they decided to move into the window. So mm. they were live in the window for all that time. People can kind of <laughs> ask them to do things, knock on the window. Um, it was great. So, you know, being able to do things like that where, where it kind of um, took Creative Review out into to, to broader kind of uh, reach was, was terrific. Yeah. Do you think it's um, as easy to do that kind of stuff in magazines now? Because how long ago? I mean, Creative Futures probably stopped, what, sort of seven or eight years ago? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, well, I guess... In the, when I came into Creative Review, magazines were, were very profitable. And even though it didn't necessarily feel like it at the time, because we always had a very small team, we always had to really fight for resources and so on, as you, as you tend to do in publishing companies. But there was probably enough money being made to allow some activities to take place that didn't necessarily have a, have a, a, you know, a big focus on, on, a, on profit. Yeah. And something like Creative Futures, which you know, it kind of covered its costs, but the... the the value of it was in Creative Review supporting future talent, um, and so it was it was worth doing, and, and there was enough kind of support for us to be able to do something like that because each we had about twelve categories, and each of them had to be sponsored by somebody. So okay. even just finding enough sponsors to 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 support that was a big job in itself. Um, so it's, it was it was it was different, I suppose, um, in in that respect. I mean, the major difference is that we were just producing a monthly magazine that's the only thing we really had to worry about yeah um, I mean, when I joined we were largely still doing that and uh, and I joined from another magazine where, which had a website and I remember being sort of like wow there's not a website and 
But the thought now, I mean, it sort of almost feels like slightly halcyon days because there would be a certain amount of sort of thumb twiddling, as I recall. And, research. Uh, sort of research. Research time. And reflection. And sort of, and, you know, being able to kind of have... Um, a long and very useful for research uh, lunches <laughs> <laughs> with people from the industry. Yes, uh, and a sandwich at your desk. <laughs> yeah, and sort of just, I mean, just there being time, actually. Yeah, which, I think, of course, you don't realise when you have it. Is, yeah, exactly. You know. I think that's the big difference. I think there was a rhythm to the, to the month um, when we only had to produce the monthly magazine that allowed for time at the start to research, gather material, go and see people go and build those kinds of relationships yeah. um, before you had to get into the kind of nitty-gritty of producing something at the end of it. Um, and and that was nice and is very different to today where you're always on, you've always got to be producing stuff every day for the website, for social media channels, for all the other things that we do now and so many other publishers do now. And that's sort of a big change, I guess. Yeah, and time spent with the people that you're interviewing. I mean, I don't... I still feel, you know, obviously we're talking about our own thing here, which is a bit weird, but I still feel we kind of produce stuff of a certain quality and depth. But I think a lot, you know, whereas there would have been a point where you would go and spend an afternoon at someone's studio, you might even go on a, um, a shoot. I certainly sort of went on a few ad shoots at one point, which would have taken yeah. the best part of a day. And now, sadly, there's just no time to do those things. And often you're doing quite in-depth calls in a 20-minute phone call. Yeah. And uh, but it's, it feels like you people are sort of up for that. Like the interviewees are kind of up for that level of getting involved. Yeah, in a I, short period of time as I well. Mean, Everything's fast. Yeah, I mean, le less everyone listening to this thinks it's a case of uh, oh, things were better in the old days. I yeah. have to say, the the printed magazine has absolutely never been better than it is now. I mean, it is far and away a better product in terms of the quality of the content. I think in terms of the quality of the experience, the materials, the reproduction, everything about the print magazine is exponentially better than it was when I started, when we were doing, you know, 64 page magazines, over mm. half of which would be advertising. Yeah, so, so much shorter really. Imagine yeah. that and compared to today where we're doing 164 page magazines, where there's maybe a dozen pages of advertising, it's completely different. Yeah. So I think absolutely in that respect, things are better now. If you look at the kind of breadth of stuff that we cover now and the quality of the way we cover it, the way we're able to combine uh, the web, print, videos, podcasts, you know, all of that is fantastic. And I think having all those different means at your disposal um, are, are really exciting. But of course, the fundamental problem with the magazine business, publishing business, as with other creative industries, is our kind of business model has been turned upside down. Mm. So although we can do so many more things now, there's so much less money to support those things. Um, and that means, you know, it's, it's, it can sometimes be a bit of a battle, but, um, you know, it is what it is. And I think um, particularly with the introduction of the paywall last year, we're in a really healthy place for the future. It's one of the reasons why I felt, right, okay, this is a good point to kind of mm. hand you the keys, <laughs> let you get on with it. I'm running now. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And no, I think it's a, I think the paywall thing for, for CR, I mean, it's sort of coincidental in many ways, but it's an interesting timings in terms of the wider media landscape. And, you know, we're seeing there was yeah. news just this week or last week about Condé Nast uh, putting all their titles, like things like Wired behind the paywall. And, and, you know, you're seeing it 
everywhere now and I think it's there's interesting sort of shifts happening and but it feels like everything's there's still evolution I don't know if it's ever going to get to an end point it's always going to keep there's if never going to be this perfect model where everyone makes enough money yeah and, you know, it feels like we've spent the last last 10 years reading think pieces about yeah what exactly the, what the uh, magic silver bullet's going to be and I think I think you're right I think we just have to reconcile to our, ourselves to the fact that there is no magic silver bullet it's constantly evolving we have to be flexible enough to be able to deal with that yeah changes everything and do you think that's true of the looking at the wider industry then do you feel what what have you sort of observed i think in some respects i mean i think um the bigger changes probably are uh in in the advertising world where you know when i started at creative review the the big commercial was was everything but also people you know people were still producing really exciting uh posters press campaigns and so on and um what we saw which you know has been endlessly examined and re-examined is 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 if you like some of the sort of devaluing of of creativity as uh, other forces start to uh impinge on on what was a really very creatively led industry yeah. i guess you know the rise of procurement and different uh, and metrics and uh, obviously digital and programmatic and all those kinds of things people talk endlessly about. Um, I think also just from a more kind of a personal point of view, we used to have a much more direct contact with the creatives themselves. So if you wanted to find out what was going on in a certain agency, you just call a creative team there who you knew and they'd say, oh yeah, we've got this coming up or that coming up, you might want to write about it. And now things are much more controlled, you know, that everybody mm. wants the big press release. They want uh, to control all of that. They want uh, lots of demand. It's, it's, it's much more restricted and restrictive and, and, and choreographed, if you like, which, you know, from a journalistic point of view can be quite frustrating. Yeah, although, of course, still always the best interviews are the ones where you find someone who's quite candid and, yeah. and unafraid to sort of be honest about things. And I'm not necessarily be controversial but just talk without fear of sort of uh of needing everything to be perfect in some way yeah and, uh, yeah but yes it's definitely a much more of a pr controlled yeah. business do you and think it, that's true of design as well or is design a little bit i mean i think some people have um tried to embrace that a bit but uh not so much i guess the, the stakes are probably not in every case but in some cases probably less uh high mm. um in advertising, there seems to also be more, um, more kind of control coming from the the brands, the clients now yeah. that they don't. It's actually about them wanting the message to be done yeah. in a certain way, not so yeah, much absolutely. the agency. So I think that's a challenge for agencies to yeah, yeah, yeah. get their voices in there as well. Yeah, and it's a big it's a big challenge uh, for both on the outside and, and particularly, I guess, in uh, you know branding, the visual identity side. Now, the the obviously the online reaction to new things, which can be vitriolic and yeah. passionate and controversial and and trying to deal with that and cope with that is obviously a big problem that didn't really exist before you know in, in my early days at creative review there was this whole emergence of this idea of shock advertising uh you know things like um, Toscani at Benetton but also in lots of more everyday brands in the UK people really used it as a tactic to try and cut through and um because there was there were no there was no Twitter no social media to kind of uh, push back against that, you know you could you could employ that in a, in a way in which you could do it in a kind of context for an audience that would maybe appreciate and get and get it without the risk of these huge kind of uh, P 
PR blow-ups yeah. that would happen now. Um, so you could run a, an ad that would only appear in, say, The Face or would only appear at uh, a certain cinema that would that would go down fine with a specific audience. But if so the general like direct public, advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if the general public saw it, they might be kind of horrified because it might have some very kind of dark humour in it or something like that. Um, but now, of course, it would be immediately all over social media mm. and people who weren't kind of interested in that brand would be taking a umbrage at it or, 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 or the kind of context would all be lost. So I think it was much more difficult to do that kind of work. Yeah. Yes, no, it's true. I mean, uh, have there been points along the way with CR where, uh, where you've had moments like that or where things have changed? And yeah, there was, I mean, you know, you always, when you get, particularly producing a print magazine, things that go along the way, uh, wrong along the way. I remember one time um, we wrote a, a perfectly innocuous story about an ad campaign, which we thought was fine. The issue had gone to press. And then I got a really, really panicked phone call from someone at the agency saying, if you run that, sto that story, we are literally going to lose that account, which is worth, you know, X number of millions of pounds. What can we do? Gosh. And uh, he... <laughs> the responsibility. <laughs> and, you know, it's a terrible position to be in. And he actually ended up paying for us to um, stop the print run, um, do a different story, um, change that page, so to drop that story effectively, and uh, reprint the magazine um, because it was it was still worth their while doing it. And, and it's one of the things where, you, you know, if it had been because there was something in there that was critical or disobliging or something, then you would have, you know, stood on your editor's principles and said, well, no. Yeah. But it wasn't that. It was just a simple mistake that, that we'd written about a, a piece of work which they hadn't got permission to tell anyone about and, uh, and, and you know, I didn't feel like I would be compromising my integrity just to help them out and, and yeah. so we ended up with this big palaver but it was, it was fine but it was, uh, yeah, it was a big deal at the time. I remember. Yeah, for a magazine that feels reasonably innocuous in that sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's <a laughs> interesting to be sort of so, uh, to cause such trouble for people although you know these things still happen now I think you do still get situations where people's jobs are suddenly on the line for them saying the wrong thing and yeah. So on. Yeah, so, yeah 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 which is then you know why you can see where, where people want to be slightly more more controlling it's yeah. it's, uh, it's sort of a bigger bigger game now than it was I guess yeah yeah and are there do you have sort of favorite issues or um I think we did some um we we you know these days we do a lot more around themes and I think some of the earlier themed issues we did were were a lot of fun I mean we did a, I mean we did a whole issue about sustainability which was really good fun there was lots of kind of research that went into it uh, it was different to the kind of reporting on on work that we'd done more of up to that mm. point so, so to take an issue and explore it in a lot of depth was really good um, I mean that's one of the advantages actually of the way everything is now that there's so many channels that you can kind of go deep on the subject yeah and that feels appropriate in a magazine now yeah, it yeah, wouldn't have done at the start no exactly you know we always used to have have to have a uh, lots of kind of competing constituencies that we used to have to cover so you'd end up with you know, one bit that was for this audience one bit that was that for that audience and all, all within a very small space in a small magazine so it was great to kind of break out of that um, we did some really nice projects. We used to do, for example, uh, a fold-out poster that came in the magazine called Centrefold. So one side it would be a profile piece on someone, and then the other side would be just one big image of their work. And we had some great people for that. We had, uh, I think, probably one of the most popular ones was Futura, the, the um, oh, yeah. uh, street artist. We did a lot with uh, James Lavelle. Yeah, 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 yeah. We did a, a pretty early Banksy 
where um, we had a, a fold-out uh, centerfold poster with stencils uh, by mm. about six different um, graffiti artists, one of whom was Banksy. Wow. Wonder um, if that's worth any money now. Get <laughs> well, looking in your for the going. cover, I remember our art director went and he actually used the stencil and he sprayed up an area in Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> I remember going into trouble with this, and we used that for the cover, so that was really fun. You know, we did, we had a few really nice kind of cover ideas like that that were really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And are there any sort of moments that still make you wake up sweating in the night of the things that have gone wrong or like? Oh well, I mean, I think it's been. 20 years of waking up sweating in the middle of the night. I mean, it's, it's weird because, you know, Creative Review with the best one in the world, it's not the biggest title in the world. But I think for everyone who works on magazines like this, you have a real passion for it and you want it to be the best it can be. And anything that you get wrong or, 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 or that goes wrong, you know, it does um, really, really affect you deeply. And I know that goes the same for all, for all of, the, of the team. Yeah. Um, and I suppose, I mean, the biggest risks that we took, I suppose, were, were when we did that issue where um, Mother guest edited it and we had, you know, a lot of controversy around, well, the whole idea of doing that. Um, we, and we tried to be kind of playful on the idea of selling out. The whole issue was about selling out. Yeah, yeah. So it came in a, the, the point of controversy was, well, it's also selling out, but it also came in a, in an envelope, which uh, sort of in a playful, <laughs> uh, slightly controversial way referenced the fact that they'd sold out. Yeah, I mean, it was, we had, um, big price sticker on the cover saying mother had paid whoever it was £15,000 to edit this issue or something which actually was really them giving it they didn't want any ads in the in the magazine so they basically uh, reimbursed us for the cost of what we would have been able to get for advertising in the magazine so that we didn't lose money on the whole thing yeah um, with a little bit on top as well I think but then they wanted to really kind of push this whole um, you know selling out uh, prostitution kind of angle on the whole thing um, so they they uh, wanted the magazine to go out in a brown envelope that looked like a kind of um, the envelope you you get your pay in, but then they wanted to have this little message on the back saying um, your mother is a whore, um, i.e. mother is a whore. But it was like handwritten in biro. I know, and, it, so and, and it, well, it was handwritten, but then it was it it was it was scanned and then printed. Yeah. But then obviously, you know, a lot of people got really offended by that. See, that's um, the case of if there was Twitter around. Oh, if there was Twitter, it would have been, been an absolute nightmare and I probably wouldn't have survived it as, as editor, probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a lot, we got a lot of people saying they absolutely loved it, but we also got a lot of very angry people who, um, you know, um, for various upset, reasons, right? and, and quite, you know, quite rightly in some cases, were really upset by it. Um, so that was probably the, yeah, the kind of most controversial thing that we, that we did. Yes, I remember some early, it's interesting with social media because I think we made some early stumbles in social media that aren't actually terribly interesting, I don't think, but it's more just that sort of learning experience of having a tone of voice, but also just the kind of, um, the reach of it all in this sort of quite early age when we probably only had about 50,000 followers, which compared to we have now something like 2 million. And, uh, but it, it almost felt the engagement at, at that level was at its most kind of, intense perhaps and and i think we were we were still perhaps learning that you couldn't be as casual maybe as as you would be you would be in other settings and i remember a few things there. yeah i think it was understanding that when whoever was writing the tweets was writing as creative reviewer not themselves yeah which took a bit of a leap of mindset at the time so in terms of you had if you had a personal opinion about something you had to really think through should that also be the opinion of creative review or is it just my own yeah, which I guess to gave on. rise to the whole all opinions of my own thing that you still see a bit on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we learnt a lot 
in in that. I mean, and even more than that, actually, was was the whole issue of, of comments and commenting on the website, which became, mm. you know, really problematic at some point. You know, we, we it was great that we had this website where people were very passionate about discussing work, um, very free with their opinions, and it was great in the way that it democratised that. So, you know, everybody could comment on a work by whatever designer or creative, no matter how kind of uh, established they were or whatever big name they were. But it turned at times quite toxic to the extent that, um, you know, you would almost publish something uh, with your with your kind of deep intake of breath and think, oh God, what how's this yeah. one going to get? Certainly with sort apart? of star designers, I remember there being a few uh, people yeah. would just come with knives sharpened. I mean, there's, there's there's absolutely you know the place for for criticism and, and and debate, but it turned too often into jealousy and bitterness, mm. um, and people with you know really bad agendas, and, um, and it wasn't great as a reflection of what we thought our audience was and inevitably those kinds of forums get dominated by a few uh, people and um, you know I think we've, you've seen it across lots of different media where, where newspapers and magazines have, have decided to stop allowing comments or very sort of police them very heavily. Um, I think for us it, it just felt that it got to the point where it wasn't really adding anything useful to the debate. Um, and that it, it wasn't really reflecting who we wanted to be and, yeah. and also who, who we knew the, the kind of broader audience really was. It was a sort of conversation that was being drowned out by a few kind of quite loud people. Um, and, and I think the way in which the, the, that commenting was done, uh, the way it, you could do it anonymously, um, it just for lots of reasons didn't lead to a very kind of, it didn't really lead to, it wasn't really debate in any kind of useful sense most of the time. Occasionally there were really lovely, wonderful things that happened below the line where people would, uh, you know, take an idea and run with it and there'd be... And there's some funny moments. Yeah. yeah, and quite rightly as well, there were times when, when pieces of work were really kind of criticised and taken down, and 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 rightly so. And, and, and pieces that we'd written were challenged and taken down. And I, I absolutely don't think that we, we were doing this when we stopped the comments because we were afraid or, or didn't want people challenging us, we were quite happy to be challenged. It was more when they were having a go at people who we'd written about um, in a way that we felt I think was maybe sort of fundamentally unfair and wasn't really showing our community in the best light. And I think yeah. it, that certainly became quite a big bit of a problem. And, and actually in some ways, that, you know, the, the events kind of took over anyway because a lot of that debate moved to Twitter once Twitter yeah, started. Yeah, it did, and it, now Instagram as well, you see. Yeah. And it's a diff there's a different tenor of of tone in the debate in different places now. Yeah. It, just, it wasn't happening on our site anymore. So e sure. even though we, we had taken a decision that we didn't want comment on the site anymore, by that stage, actually, we'd stopped getting the kind of levels of comment we used to get anyway. So it, it, it almost kind of passed us by and you were left with stories where you'd get, you know, three or four or five comments or something, and it really wasn't worth having by that mm. point anyway. So it wasn't too difficult a decision to make to say, okay, we won't do this. We won't have these pieces open for comment anymore. You know, we'll have the discussion or the debate on Twitter, uh, or, or or in other ways. But it, it's not really doing its job anymore to have comments on the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I feel I have to ask this question because I know lots of people want to know this. But what's uh, what's next for you? And and you know what. 
Why now? Um, I, 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 I don't know. Is the, is the honest answer? I uh, I just before Christmas became a trustee for DNAD, which is a great honour, and um, so I, I uh, am part of their their board of trustees, and that's a sort of advisory role. Uh, I'm also doing a little bit of work with them, helping them with um, the festival and a couple of other things that have asked, but that's uh, you know on a on a kind of um, consultancy basis, temporary basis. But yeah. other than that, I, I don't know. I'm going to take a bit of time to think about things Not and wake have up a bit in the of a break. Of the night. Not wake up in the middle of the night <laughs> wondering about who we've offended or got wrong or, uh, or or not done as well as we should have been. I mean, I, it is uh, um, it, it is being an ed- editor of any kind of magazine, but particularly Creative Review, is a fantastic job. I mean, it is, it's, it's a wonderful job. You get to meet incredible people. Um, I'd say, uh, and... Um, you might not thank me for this, but the role of editor has become a lot harder because you've had to take on lots of different aspects yeah. that weren't part of the job when I started it. Lots of things to do with uh, the commercial side of, of publication, lots of different channels, lots of different types of decision you have to get involved with now. But in a way, that's a good thing because it only kind of increases your say in matters and your kind of role as editor and, and, and the way in which those things are actually now probably more important to a, a publishing business than they used to be. So. So it, 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 it's a hassle, but it's a good hassle to have, and it puts yeah. you in a position of power. Um, it takes a lot of energy, though, I guess. It takes a great deal of energy, and you need a lot of energy and enthusiasm. And I, I have to say, we've got currently, you know, um, and all through the time I've been at Creative View, actually, we've had been very fortunate to have fantastic people working for the magazine. Yeah, it's always been a great team. It's yeah, been a great loyal and, and I hope that, that that comes through in, in what we the way we write about stuff and what we write about. Um, and doing things like this podcast and um and also of course you know it's been an amazing opportunity for me to to meet and uh get to know and work with some fantastically creative people whether that's in advertising or graphic design or photography or illustration or film or any of the kind of avenues that creative review allows you to to wander down so yeah i think um it'd be great nice to take the opportunity to thank all the people that i've kind of interviewed and met and and got to know uh along this this time at Creative Review because um, it's been a real privilege to meet so many fantastic designers and art directors and writers and photographers and, 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 and people doing amazing work. Oh, very good. And it's not the complete end for you with CR because we've roped you in to, uh, to write a column for yes. us monthly. So yes. you'll still hear Patrick's voice, perhaps not as regularly as, as before, but still be present in the magazine and no doubt be around and about and hopefully enjoying being a gun for hire <laughs> <laughs> and doing some consultancy and stuff like that yeah so uh, but thanks for doing this Pleasure. and uh thanks for listening everyone if you want to obviously you can read more about creative review on creativereview.co.uk but a lot of what pat's talked about is be is all available to be seen on our archive and there's more information about that on our website too all right thanks a lot mm-hmm.